You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Hey, what's up? Not much. We did this yesterday. We did. So. We are, like, we are, we said yesterday, we are both pre and post recording, post my vacation recording, pre your vacation recording. We're being proactive. We're really on top of our shit. The first time we've been able to say that in all of season five. And possibly most of my entire life. Oh, yeah. Maybe I actually should just retract that statement. I don't, I don't think, because as much as I'm like, I'm on top of my Teen Wolf shit, I'm falling behind at work. I haven't seen any of my friends in weeks. My personal life is garbage. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm about to leave for a place and um, I don't know what I, what I'm missing and what I need. Yeah. And I was, I was just at Target. So. Uh Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can't remember last time I went to the gym. Yes. But you did go on a run. Yeah. But I went like a mile. (laughs) That's not running. Like, no. was I physically making the running motion? Yeah. Did I go for a run? Debatable. <laughs> Your feet went places. I guess so. So, semantically, you you were doing <laughs> Hold on. I feel like we started this so confident and then immediately knocked ourselves down. We have to say something nice about ourselves before we continue. You first. Should we say something nice about each other? <laughs> Yeah. You're uh you just got your hair done and it looks really good. Oh, thank you. Um there are so many lovely, wonderful things that Okay. <laughs> Hold on. That sounds like you can't think of anything. No, I it's like when someone asks you what you want for Christmas and you're like, I've never had a material desire. Fair. Yes. Yeah. And then Christmas rolls around, you're like, Why didn't I ask for a crock pot? <laughs> oh, I loved your outfit that you wore to work today. Thank you. I, I also thought it was bit, good. I wore my mm-hmm. Beetlejuice pants, yeah. which are a real hit. Yeah. Um, They're very fun. Thank you. Also, it was like cloudy out today, so I was like, Halloween. It feels like Halloween. I know. Well, here's the thing. For me personally, mm-hmm. once the 4th of July is over. It is Halloween. It's Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Because we like spooky stuff. Because this is the Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf, a spooky show. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And we're here to get spooky. And every time we do this podcast, we are three feet from a fake skull. Yeah. <laughs> and a witch's broom. And our Teen Wolf shrine. Yeah. So we're, we're spooky folks. We are spooky folk. I think I think that if you haven't reaped that from listening. <laughs> yeah, what have you been new, doing? <laughs> you're new here. One of our newest listeners, Ryan Kelly. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ryan. We, we love that you're here. Uh, people who skipped the last episode are going to be Oh my um, God, Ryan Kelly. Oh my God, Ryan Kelly. So this episode, we are talking about season five, episode 16, Liability. Okay. Um, I said this too while we were watching. <laughs> Dumbness of title reflect, reflects quality of episode. Uh, yeah, because it was... That this is not the dumbest title. No, but Status Asthmaticus was, and that was a horrible episode. So, so we prove ourselves wrong over and over again. But this one was pretty good. I was okay. It was. It was. I think it was a little bit of a, a dramatic letdown uh, compared to the episode previous. I think that mm-hmm. episode was so well paced, um, but it was given a lot less to do, and then the rest of what was supposed to be happening got shoved into this episode, which just made it feel like the classic Teen Wolf. Everything's happening so much. But I didn't hate it. Well, no. And I said this to you when we were talking yesterday that I wish that um, the heist had been wrapped up in the past episode because this just kind of felt like they didn't really know where to go 
Um, and they were like, well, we, we haven't figured out how to get away from Eichenhaus. So obviously this whole episode has to be about that, which didn't really need to be. No, it felt like the end of a superhero movie when you're like, they've been fighting for 20 minutes. I'm so bored. Yeah. I had time to go to the bathroom, get a popcorn refill and they're still fighting. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> Luckily, Teen Wolf manages to do a little bit more of the like character in there. Yeah. People talk. It's nice. Yeah. Um, um, so before we get into it, we have to do the 60 second recap. I also want to tell you really fast. Yeah. This was written by Eric Wallace and directed by Russell Mulcahy. Oh gosh. I'm jumping the gun. Hi, Russell. Two hey. Russell episodes in a row. We're your biggest fans. Um, I, again, I could see things. I could see things. Yeah. Most things. I was not squinting. No. Great feeling. Which is great. Yes. Um, and we're getting close to the end of season five. Dun, dun, dun. Think. God, uh, we're gonna have to yeah. do like an entire like you know how we do our season wrap ups and they're in, like a, you know an extended episode. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're gonna have to do a whole ass other episode to wrap up season five, but no one would listen to it because they'd be like, "Oh, these girls sound angry. <laughs> <laughs> they're so mean. They're so mean." And and, and? what if I mean? <laughs> we say this because we care. We scare because we, we care. scare because we care. That's exactly it. Yeah. Oh, that's two <laughs> Monsters Inc. references in a, in a row. Okay. <laughs> Before we get too deep into Monsters Inc., uh, I think we have to do the 60 second recap. Unfortunately, yes. and as you probably already know, I have to go first. Yeah, I didn't have to wait a week in between or even a couple of days. Like, I know. Uh huh. I know you know that I, I know that I'm going to. <laughs> majorly suffer (laughs) Suffer. yeah yeah Yeah. well uh you read your notes which is more than i can say about myself so are you ready (laughs) it's like why do you ask i don't know it just it feels it feels perfunctory it feels like when you're at like some sort of racing event or like watching a movie and they're like are you ready and you're like well, the gladiators are coming now. Yeah. Or it's like when you're at a concert and they're like, are you ready to rock? And you're like, well, that's why I'm here. So. so and and also you're late. Yeah. So. Also, the opening act sucked and they had to go do two encores because it's like 10 p.m. and you still haven't gone on yet. Uh, so the question is not, are we ready to rock? Are, are you? you? Yeah. yeah. Come on. Exactly. Um, well, ready or not, I'm going to give you a minute on the clock starting right now. So Parrish rolls up uh, to Iken and Theo grabs Lydia and uh, sends the Chimeras after Parrish and then Valak attacks Theo and then Theo spears Parrish with a pipe and then Valak disappears with Lydia and then there's a flashback where Liam and Hayden are having sex and he's like please be in the McCall pack and then Deucalion uh, keeps manipulating Hayden and then Scott and Liam are still locked out by the mountain ash and then Theo and Styles look for Lydia and they go into the, the pipes. They go into like the tunnels. Uh, Kira is like too much um, electricity and she's going nuts. Natalie is locked inside of Iken and Scott and Liam find Meredith who's catatonic and like let Scott read her mind and then he finds Lydia in the spirit world and she's like her powers are overloading but Valak thinks that they can find the beast with her and then Theon Styles are going through the tunnels and they're fighting about uh, his plan about the beast and then um, uh, they find Valak uh, by listening through the pipes meanwhile Malia and Kira are teaming up with Josh and Corey and Josh can help Kira if Malia can help Corey heal because he got burned by Parrish earlier in the episode. And then they figure out how to do, how to save each other. And then Mason rolls up and he's like, that's time. Yeah. Thank You're God. clipping though. Thank I lost my place in my notes. So most of that was from memory. Very impressive. Is it? We just watched the episode. <laughs> um, no, truly. We we do this all the time. We sit down, we watch the episode, and I'm like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. And it's like, I've seen it before, so I should. 
It's the dread doctors. It's the telluric currents. Eventually we are going to not have that excuse. No, no. Here's why. <laughs> the wild hunt makes you forget shit. But I'm excited for the wild hunt. Me because too. I'm so pumped. Fun. Ghost cowboys is my dream aesthetic. I actually, th- this is like the crux of the season five problem. I'm not having fun. I had fun last episode. I had like comparative fun this episode. Yeah. Um, but whereas a lot of Teen Wolf is like 70% fun, this is like 30. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's see. Are you ready? Do you think you can do better than me? Um, Undoubtedly you can. Audience is like, yeah, she always does better than you. <laughs> no, I think I, you, I didn't use a sufficiently dark enough pen, so we shall see. I can't, I can't fucking read anything. <laughs> Uh, to anybody who ever thought we were just always doing it from memory, hmm. Oh, we take, we take. We scare because we care. <laughs> I was going to say we take detailed uh, notes, but all, nine times out of ten it is me uh, commenting to myself about what's going on. <laughs> Weird costume <laughs> choice. Later. And you're like, I don't even know what costume choice I was talking about. Anyway. True. I'm not even going to give you time to dilly dally on your market set. Go. Okay. So we're back where we left off in the last episode and the chimeras are like, we're going to fight Parrish, but their powers don't work on him. I mean, the chaos of Valak grabs Lydia and they, uh, like leave and styles freaks out. Parrish, um, goes down cause Theo spears him. There's a weird Hayden Liam sex scene, and he's like, "Oh, you know, come to the pack." Hayden and Dukelian are like chit chatting, and she wasn't invited to the Eichen party because she is a liability with Liam. Um, Scott and Liam are still trying to get to Lydia. Kira is like having uh, an electrical freak out and panicking, um, and she's like, "I sort of stayed with the Skinwalkers." Natalie is like trapped outside. Scott and Liam go to find Meredith, who is like catatonic, and she's like, "Actually, you should uh, spear me with your claws to find out what's going on." Styles and Theo realize that Lydia's in the tunnel, so they go down and look for her. Um, Josh offers to help Kira because Corey is like badly hurt, and they're like, "Oh." I'll help you if you help me. Um, Liam protects Scott from the guards while he's inside Meredith's head. And Valak is actually trying to use Lydia to figure out who the beast is because if, uh, you know, her brain works that way. Um, la la la. Hayden uses Canama Venom to paralyze Deucalion so she can go off and help her friends. Styles and Theo have like a little confrontation about Theo killing his sister because Theo's like, you need me. Oh, that's it. Oh, I want, I was just like thinking about th- important things that were said well i think you got into some good details that we are gonna have to bring up into our main discussion did either of us get to the end of this episode no did either of us get further than halfway i got further than halfway i think uh yeah i don't know i got to mason getting there which is further than me yeah so so you know what then i'm gonna let you wrap up the rest of the episode okay um basically valak is like i'm gonna put the dread doctor's mask on lydia but she Shout! She screams away part of his face, and he dies. Oh, I love a girl boss. Uh, yeah, there's a really great little Stydia moment, including the classic line, Lydia, will you just shut up and let me save your life? Um, Mason's like, I'm going to crash into this wall so that I can be plan B. And Hayden's like, actually, that's fucking dumb. I'm going to leap this wall in a single bound like Superman. Um, and <sighs> Parrish basically saves everybody from being nuclear detonated by Lydia's scream mm-hmm. um, by like curling into her. And then they all uh, head out to the clinic. There's a moment where Tracy like grabs Lydia and everybody's just so tired that they're kind of like, God, now what? Um, but Natalie saves her and they get there and um, Deaton puts some mistletoe in her head hole. <laughs> Gross. So, yeah. <laughs> that is what happens. Yeah. Um, and she's okay. Yes. But Theo took the Dread Doctor's mask. That's kind of what we 
go he out took on. Valak's mask. But it is like it a is dread a dread doctor, doctor mask. If, yes. Unclear on the origins of that. I, maybe we'll find out. I wouldn't know, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe we will. Maybe we'll find out. Um, okay. First, first thought. Tracy is like the poor man's Erica. Yeah. She never gets to talk. She just snarls and then um, comes after people. And we knew a little bit about her tragic backstory of like night terrors and stuff, which was kind of interesting. But like we understood Erica's quest for power a little bit more. Like I know she's all damaged because she came back from the dead. But who's to say Erica didn't in some way? Yeah. I mean, Tracy is just fucking ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I do appreciate conniving um, people, but she doesn't have enough screen time for her to get away with being that conniving and having me being like, yeah, I like her as a villain. Yeah. She's also practically mute. She doesn't say anything. Yeah. Okay. So writers let them speak. Let the women talk. Let the women talk. Yeah. I have things to say about that actually in this episode, but I will get there. Oh, okay. Second thought before we get into our main discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I have been a little bit like, where did all the sex go in Teen Wolf? Because I've always, we've discussed that Teen Wolf is like kind of a sex positive show. I didn't really want it coming from Liam and Hayden. Well, I was saying to you while we were watching this, that like when it was Scott and Allison, first of all, those actors are clearly all of age, um, but there's no like the younger generation to compare them to. And meanwhile, I'm sitting on my couch being like, Liam is my son. Yeah. He's my child. Yeah. I don't want that. I don't want to sound like I'm scandalized by the sex happening because clearly not. No. It's just kind of like, it was really weirdly shoehorned in this episode. And that conversation could have happened at any point previous. And it was like the only flashback in this episode, which also makes it like sort of incongruous with the rest of what's happening. The, to me, it kind of suggests that there was so much that um, didn't make it into the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? But I didn't love it. No. Who's surprised? <laughs> Congrats on losing your virginity, Liam. <laughs> Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Um, so we're going to talk about this episode through the theme of protection. Wow, I hope Liam and Hayden used anyway. Um, <laughs> because nice. I think that is like the primary instinct of everybody in this episode, even for sort of our less savory characters. Um, and I'm interested to see where this discussion goes. Where would you like to start? Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about Theo? Yeah. One of our less savory characters. Yes. It's really interesting to me that Theo is again, like so sort of supposed to be like the Peter of this season. You know, but because he's less uh, skilled in his artistry of being a bad guy, um, he still has to like rely on like Styles and Scott to get what he wants. And because of that, he has to like volunteer to be like, I'm going to help you save Lydia, which his goal was always to get her. Um, But he also like can't do it without Styles and is then sort of both signing himself up to be like, kind of protect styles and also to save Lydia. And it's really funny to me that like he hasn't quite managed the balance of Peter just being able to show up in the right room at the right time. Yeah. But I also think that there is a part of him that still really wants like styles and Scott to like him. Yeah. 
What is so interesting that about Theo that we haven't really talked about is that he's kind of the only teen villain of Teen Wolf. Um, like, yes, Matt. Matt, technically, I don't know, that that guy looks 30. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's hard to imagine him as a teenager. Um, but Matt, like, Matt's villainy is very childish mm-hmm. not childish but it's like very revenge based immature. It, it's immature um and he gets taken like jackson gets taken over by gerard you know eventually so theo is really like the first teen villain and having him continuously be put in these situations where he like clearly uh even though he knows that he's been causing all these problems he really does want those people to like him. It's kind of like an undercurrent of how he interacts with them, which is so interesting because it kind of gets in the way of what he wants. Yeah. But he, he doesn't really know how to like fight against that instinct of wanting to be liked. Yes, that's totally it. And you know, he even like sort of spins that tale to styles about how he's like, you know, I didn't know what the dread doctors were asking me when it came to killing my sister. And for a second, you're sort of like, Oh my God, that's totally an interesting you know, thing to pause it before you remember the flashback of him just like maliciously watching his sister die. But like, that's even sort of like, he's protecting any remaining like grace he might have with styles, which why would he have any? Because he ruined his life. Um, but it's not that, you know, that scene doesn't feel like he's trying to be like, you know, I'm not really all that bad. I'll help you save Lydia. It's a little bit like, please like me. Well, and I, also, the, this is the thing about, like, being a human being, which Theo is. You want people to like you because you want a reason to like yourself. hmm And I don't think Theo has a lot of those. Reasons He's handsome. To like he, it, God, he is, <laughs> he is handsome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Although, what did you say <laughs> while we were watching about, like... Will Poulter, I think, is the best example of, like, having a quote-unquote punchable face. Uh-huh. And... Theo just looks like he's making eyes. Like, Cody Christian just has a bedroom eyes face. <laughs> he does. There's a part where he looked at Styles, and we were both like, wait, what? <laughs> what is okay. What is happening? What is happening? Actually, you know, it's like, it's like entangled, like, Eugene's smolder. That's what Theo's doing all the time. Oh, yes, from Tangled. Flynn Sorry. Rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, when you said entangled, my brain heard entangled like it was wrapped up entangled in Entangled yeah. with, yeah, no, no, um, the Disney movie. Yes, um, yeah, the smolder. Yeah, he's he's just smoldering unintentionally, like at the most in, inopportune random times. We haven't even gotten to the elevator stuff. I know, and that's not for a while. I like to yeah. think that like all the directors were like, yeah, just turn it up a little bit. <laughs> like it was an acting note. Um, yeah, but you know, it's really interesting to me that like, one, Theo has become the protector of a chimera pack that he's, like, kind of not very interested in protecting. Like, he sends them after Parrish, being like, you're on your own, kiddos. <laughs> but it's still like, I'll, I'll help you save Lydia. And it's like, again, there is a personal agenda there. But it's like, yeah, it's also about, like, it, who he offers his protection to isn't necessarily entirely about, like, political personal gain. Because it would be more advantageous for him to take care of the chimeras. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and he doesn't. Ultimately, though, in Theo's mind, and it's getting a little repetitive at this point, honestly, I kind of wish that we had a a moment of seeing, like, truly what he was thinking or feeling. Um, 
with regards to the dread doctors because like he betrays Malia to her mom to get the claws. Um, but he says to, uh, styles and also like, this is a refrain we've heard elsewhere that he wants to take the beast's power in order to actually kill the beast Mm -hmm. because he views himself as like the protector, not just of beacon Hills, but I guess the world because, what is the implication of the hellhound and the beast fighting Armageddon? I, the apocalypse. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They don't, they don't explain (laughs) it or maybe they do, but it's so like, if they haven't explained it yet, it's not uninterested. Yeah. I'm uninterested. Yeah. Um, and it's just what I do find interesting. And I wish we knew more about is like Theo clearly views himself as a sort of protector, um, over, like the greater mm-hmm. area as opposed to like the literal children in his vicinity uh, who he's asking to fight for him. But it's like an ends justify the means. Yeah. He's that kind of guy. Speaking of ends justifying the means, I kind of want to move into a quick conversation about Kira, Malia, Josh and Corey. I actually really liked this interaction. I did too. Um, I don't want to call it, wholesome no i think it was a negotiation of you know benefits like i don't (laughs) it's not like josh is going to voluntarily take kira's like overload of uh, electrical voltage but he does get something out of it and it's to protect his own like this is both a like sort of you know i'll i'll protect what's mine kind Mm -hmm. of thing and that's why malia is initially like i'm not taking his pain until you help my friend And I think that that's really interesting how, in earnest, like, we don't actually see a lot of Theo interacting with his pack or how he's conducting business or how much they know about the beast and stuff. But, like, there is an element to the fact that, like, right now, everybody who's not Theo in that pack is kind of on the same side of being like, I don't want to die. Yeah. Again, except for Tracy. Yeah, was just out there doing her own thing. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I just, I really liked all of that interaction. I liked the amount of risk that I was feeling watching them because we've seen from the past how, um, if you take too much pain, you will give too much of yourself and of your powers. And I'm assuming the same thing would happen to Josh. Well, what's interesting to me is I think that that was not actually played in because we all know Malia would give up before it hurt her. Like Mm -hmm. we know that fundamentally from a character level. So Josh is actually taking a way bigger risk because he doesn't know how much voltage that Kira is giving off, but he knows it's a lot more than he's ever handled before. And it's not like taking pain. He doesn't just get to like, it's electricity. Like he's being electrocuted. He doesn't just get to let go and not, you know, do that. Whereas Malia could give up at any time quite easily the second she feels like she's taken on too much. And it's really interesting to me because we don't really know a lot about Josh, um, that he's willing to protect Corey to that degree. Yeah. He kind of is like admits, he's like, yeah, that could kill me, but you need to save my friend. Yeah. Um, I, I find the emotional stakes of that. So interesting. Yes. Yes. It's, I mean like the whole tit for tat is, really good mm-hmm. um and because it's an exchange rather than like everyone trying to get Lydia which is sort of like you know six people running after one person it feels a lot more dynamic to me yeah and I I don't know it's I feel like any time that the McCall pack comes up against another group it is purely adversarial 
And clearly, like they're they don't have a great relationship with Theo's pack, but this is a this is like a business moment mm-hmm. um between the four of them. Like obviously emotions are I, I don't want to say that emotions are running high. Like we don't really I wish we knew more about how Malia felt about Kira. Yeah. I I do. Well, I think this these past couple episodes have proved that I think while sometimes Amelia is frustrated with Kira's um maybe it's a lack of confidence. Yeah. I think that she sees herself as really like I think that it's it's a pack thing. Like I she thinks she's like Kira is my friend. She's one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we would not know that much, though. This is extrapolating on my part because I want to think that they're friends because the writers don't ever write scenes of them being friends. Because we do the work. Yes. Um, and you can point out to, like, what about Driver's Ed? What about the light bulb thing? Like, It kay. is so and? measly in comparison to all of the work that they did to lay down the Scott Styles friendship. Or just, like, Lydia sitting on Allison's bed while she tries on clothes before going on a date. Yeah, you know what that is? It's like actual human teenage girl stuff as opposed to um, things that are about being in the pack. Yes. Um, And like, yeah, technically driver's ed is a a human thing, but it's benefits everyone if Malia can drive a car. Yeah, it also was a later plot point, you know? It never comes back up that Lydia helps Allison pick out her clothes for a date. You know, no. it's just something she does because they're friends. Yeah. Um, yeah, I that was, you know, a, a smaller part of this episode, but I did want to talk about it because I thought it was really interesting. I kind of want to move into our conversation about Parrish. Parrish's main function in this episode is as a protector. Again, I am not, like, the, the Hellhound is not proved to be... Uh, anything that's going to be dangerous to people um, yet. Unless you antagonize it. Yeah. And obviously if you're like, well, you know, the destruction of between the fight between the two of them would end the world. I guess, but we're I not guess, even told but that. But I've already seen the fourth season of Supernatural. I know so, how that goes. Yeah. Um, Parrish's main function in this episode is as a protector in a way that I think is really interesting um because of how much he's asked to give over go give over purely to instinct he's asked by liam and scott like you have to completely forego your own personal consciousness to get this to happen and trust that the hellhound is going to do the protecting for you yeah parish in the past and yeah I'm running a wish list of things that I would like to have seen on Teen Wolf. Um, like at per- Parish actually. <laughs> Here's how season seven can still win. <laughs> can still win. Um, like we get all of this time where he is expressing frustration of not knowing what he is. And then when he finally figures it out, we don't really know how he feels about that other than like worried. Um, the last time we had Parish like experience a thought about his um, like, personal relationship to his supernatural self was when he was like, I'm worth $5. <laughs> Maybe I should just kill myself. Season four. Yeah. I miss you. Um, yes, truly. Um, it's really interesting. I, um, I like the way that the, <sighs> I'm trying to collect my thoughts. Okay. Then I'm just going to say the most evocative moment in the entire episode is, is Parrish absorbing Lydia's scream. Yes. Because we know that that just blew the skull off of 
uh, Valak. We know that it can destroy people, and we've seen the other things it can do. It's shattering glass, it's shaking the walls. And we know that Parrish is really strong and can obviously get the mountain ash, and he's expressed power that we've never seen from anyone else before. But we don't actually know that he can do that. And the fact that Parrish's, or the Hellhound's, um, instinct is not only to absorb the sound so it doesn't hurt Lydia, but to save everyone in that way, and that is purely on instinct, is brilliant. It's a beautiful moment, you know, of, of what could have been self-sacrifice and isn't because the hellhound is so strong. But I think that there, um, that suggests, that actually, it's funny, it actually represents Parrish's human self um, more to me than anything we've seen from the hellhound before. Oh, and I think that's intentional. I think that's really explicit because when we get a very vague backstory as to how I don't know if hellhounds are born or if he became one or whatever but for some reason him jumping on that bomb as a military servant uh, like as a person in the army um sacrificing himself like that is what kind of triggered the hellhound thing. That's like why he went to Beacon Hills afterwards. He was discharged. Nobody really knew how he was supposed to survive that. And like Parrish has a time and time again, shown himself to be someone who's going to put himself in harm's way to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and it implies that like Parrish and the hellhound are one and the same. Mm-hmm. They are just kind of incapable of like existing at the same time together. Yeah. And I think that, um, what we're seeing right now is a little bit of like a synthesis or like a symbiosis of the two. And it's funny when Liam says like, no, we need the other you. I was like, perfect time for a Hulk reference that they didn't make. But that is a little bit like, I'm not going to go so far as being like, it's the ego and the id, like the Hulk is, but it is sort of like the reserved form of Parrish and then what he would do with unadulterated power. And the fact that it is all results in, like the protection of others, even if it requires self-sacrifice is speaks very highly of that character. I would agree. Um, and I also think it's telling that Parrish needs to be guided into that position. The hellhound needs to be reawoken. Um, and they're really, he's really only able to do what he does because of the work of the people around him. Um, you know, he's not fighting his way through the chimeras except to like kind of push them to the side. Mm -hmm. He's not the one who takes out Valak. He's not, you know, doing the investigation of figuring out where Lydia is. But once he's like pointed in that direction, he has a purpose. Um, And if he were like truly a dangerous, violent animal, I think we would have seen that play out really differently. Yeah, I think so too. Let's move on to Liam. Oh, it is really awesome to me to watch Liam, the thing that he is protecting over, like the person he's protecting over all others in this episode, be Scott. Because yeah. we've seen a lot of him being like, no, nothing bad happens to Hayden. I know we've only been dating for like 30 hours, but <laughs> which is like, I get it. It's a teen show, blah, 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 blah. But like he, not only have he, we only just come off like the sort of, like we said in the last episode, the final blow of their falling out which is scott being able to deck him a couple times yeah boys have to get out their feelings they can't talk about them so they gotta do it other ways <laughs> um liam is also in full like i'll do whatever it takes and when he leaves scott alone with his scott's claws in meredith's neck while he's reading her mind 
he goes out and takes on three guards and he is like, he breaks the key reader so nobody can get into that room. And he's like, it's me. I'm on my own. Cause I know that this is for like a greater good one to save Scott and Meredith, because if that got interrupted, both of them could be really effed up, but also Lydia. Um, but it's something really interesting to me where, as I think that we see Liam being sort of rather immature in a lot of his actions, like, well, why don't we just break shit? You know, yeah. this is kind of a time when he's his, why don't we just break shit mentality is actually like a sign of his maturity. It is so great to see this evolution and to see him taking an active role in the pack because we've seen a lot of reluctance on his part because of Hayden. Um, and you know, we saw him getting his anger out on Scott and we saw his hesitancy about reintegrating himself into the pack. And he, in those moments before he jumps out to fight the guards and before he, you know, breaks off the key reader, like he has this anguished look on his face, like, Oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but it's kind of like WWSD. What would Scott do Mm -hmm. in that moment? I feel like that's kind of what he's thinking. And so it's really awesome to see Liam through, go through that progression of like, Oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I like, am incapable of dealing with the situation. Actually, you know what? Fuck that in a matter of seconds. Um, mm-hmm. And he does what needs to be done. Yes. He takes care of it. He does. And he, take, he takes care of Scott in that moment. Yeah, and I think that there's always something to be... Like, we always... We joke and we're like, that's Scott's baby. But it... Mm. But no, but I think that there is something to be said about, like, a role reversal in a situation where we only see parents being the protectors and having that turned... Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's just happening, that dynamic is happening between the two of these two, um, who are like, you know, <laughs> fire and water, like they are fundamentally different in their instincts and their sort of not core values, but like the way that they operate. And to see that switch was really interesting to me. Um, and also kind of shows that Scott's sense of protection radiates. Yes. Um, And this is a conversation that we've moved away from in the last couple of seasons, which is fine. I don't need to keep going over it, but like wolves are stronger in packs and you know, we don't linger on this, but I'm sure that Scott thought for two seconds before doing his claw thing with Meredith that, um, that would put him in a really vulnerable position and, he does it ultimately because he knows that that is like the way to save Lydia, but he trusts Liam Mm -hmm. to be there for him while he is that vulnerable. Yeah. And just turning over the conversation to Scott really quickly. Um, he not only trusts Liam to protect him while he's that vulnerable, he is trusting Liam to protect him while Meredith is that vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge ask because we know, I don't know if it's ever truly been explained to Liam because I think the only time he's ever been bore witness to that, um, like claw diggy thing is when Scott did it to Corey on, on, okay. You know, what's really frustrating is how he says when Meredith is like, Oh, do the mind reading. And Scott's like, no. And it's like, didn't you stab some kid last season? Who wrote 5A? What the hell? Oh, what God. was going on? What was going on? I'm I'm done. I'm done being angry about it. I'm not. You'll hear from me forever. Um, but 
it's really interesting to me that Scott now trusts him enough to protect only not only him, but somebody who is significantly more vulnerable. Uh, I would agree. Also, uh, everybody who was listening to us talk about how Meredith um, is a ghost. Oh, my God. What's okay, wrong with you? First and first, mostly. One, why didn't anyone <laughs> tell us she was alive? I know we have season five stands. They tell us all the time. None of you thought to be like, oh, Meredith is actually alive. Which means you didn't remember either. Either. So, suck it, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, but the my jaw dropped. Well, Here's the thing. We have no reason to believe that she's not dead. I don't know if we have a lot of reason to believe that she is, but I thought she was dead and no one corrected us. I I thought she was dead. No one corrected us. And then also she is like inexplicably catatonic again. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I don't know. She seems very lucid. It's like, also, why was Meredith, why did Meredith get to exist amongst the normal people and the upper levels of Iken when we first met her? Why is she down there now? I, maybe because people were like, oh, Meredith is harmless. I'm not going to rationalize it. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. No, no. Rationalizing it gives the writers too much credit, which we don't do. Um, But yeah, I just think it's really interesting to me that Scott is also willing to forego his part in this rescue because he knows that, you know, trying to get through that mountain ash is futile and is willing to let other people, you know, take control, which is something that we don't always see from Scott because Scott is, you know, as much as we're like, oh, he's Superman, oh, he's Spider-Man, whatever, um, that also does imply that he is somebody who really can't let other people take control of a situation. And it was really impressive to see him do that in this case. I would agree. I do have a, a small amount of frustration around some of that because it felt really expository, um, for someone who didn't actually end up doing any of the saving, like it was just a vehicle to get Parrish where he needed to be, which we've kind of already figured out was the was like the move because Parrish busted his way in there as the hellhounds, yeah. like looking for Lydia. It felt not unnecessary, but I was like, there had to have been a more succinct way mm-hmm. of getting to that point. Yeah. Um, but it was a nice moment. Should we talk about Stadia? Oh, I wrote it down with like six hearts next to it. It is like, it's actually crazy that they still aren't even together after this season. They burn this so slow and it's so great. But I really think um, something that is so indicative of Styles' drive to protect her is just how, um, like Styles is kind of has a hairpin trigger, but like when he's in, in there with, in, in the, the tunnels with Theo when he would rather leave him behind and just keep running and looking. It tells me so much about how desperate he is that he starts to trust Theo and give him hints as to how to like how to find Lydia faster and like tells him to break the pipe and is like listening to him and trying to get him to like do the werewolf thing to get to her because Styles would usually just leave him in the dirt. But like it is desperate he loves her so much. And obviously everybody's desperate to save Lydia, but we know it's different. Because he loves her. I just said um, that, yes. <laughs> yes. No, just to reiterate, just to in reiterate, case you did not it's know. It's love. They're in love. It's love, bitch. Um, yeah. And well, because he loves her that much, his sense of protection goes above and beyond whatever Scott feels. Above and Beyonce. For her. 
uh, as the alpha or even just as her really dear friend. Um, and they have always had that connection. And, uh, it, you know, there's a, a moment, I, I feel like this is the thing that gets referenced on like Tumblr all the time and like gifts where Styles is like, Lydia, if you die, I'll go out of my mind. Yeah. And I think he believes that. Like the idea of losing Lydia is so horrific to him um, and his sense of wanting to protect her and being incapable of doing so because she's been locked up in Eichenhaus and all he can do is like sit there at her bedside and now they have a chance to save her um, and he's losing it. Yeah. Yeah. And he does. And he does save her. And like, I think that, you know, it's, it's sort of sweet because styles can't do what everyone else around him can do. You know, when he gets Lydia out of the, out of like her, like gurney, he doesn't bridal carry her because styles can't really do that. He's not really, it's really actually kind of hard to do that. Yeah. <laughs> People are heavy and he's trying so hard to hold her up and keep her sturdy. And then Parrish comes in and when Parrish comes and, you know, uh, absorbs that scream and then comes out with her bridal style, it's not like styles asks for her back. He's like, my main goal is her safety. This has nothing to do with like my pride and you saving her instead of me. Get her to the Jeep. We got to get her to the vet. Yeah. And it's, it's the same reason that he air quotes trusts Theo. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the same reason that he's willing to kind of go along with him, whatever it takes, regardless of how he has to like, he does his like sort of, Here's the thing. Like, Styles is so in deep that, like, his physical safety doesn't register at all. And any hang-up he has when it comes to, to Lydia would be mental. And all those roadblocks are completely removed. Because it doesn't matter. He's got to save her. Yeah. Also, kind of to the detriment of the pack, in a way. Because um, if any person was going to notice that uh, Dread Doctor mask in the room, it would have been Styles, mm -hmm. And he probably would have done something to prevent Theo from taking it um, because he's just that smart of a cookie. But because he is so hyper-focused on Lydia, it doesn't even register with mm -hmm. him. He doesn't see it. He doesn't think about it. Um, and it allows Theo to get away with it. Yeah. I mean, it's literally not even new information that he has tunnel vision when it comes to her. Is He is blinded. Yes. By love. By love. Oh. And she loves him too. When she says, Styles saved me to her mom, she oh. means it. And it's, it's less about being like, Styles, you saved me. It's about being like, Mom, do you see? Do you see how much this kid loves me? And I, oh, I love it. It's a, but even, even when he shows up in the room where Dr. Valak has just died and she says, you came back for me. I think she would have been happy to be rescued by anybody. But the fact that like Styles was there, he was the one trying to save her and he didn't give up because he never gives up. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Oh, ah, chills. Should we move into Q's and O's? Let's do it. Um, okay. Do you have questions? Um, kind of like a, a mind exercise. Do you think yeah. that when any werewolf, but I guess Scott in this case, does the claw memory thing, mm -hmm. do you think it fucks them up too? Or just the person that it's happening to? 
Well, I think there's definitely an element of you are uh, uh, taking on the trauma that you are experiencing through those memories. Mm. So do you get like the, you know, all of the physical ramification of what happened to those people when you experience it? No, but I think it would be really hard to be in a head like Meredith's. I think that you are for that moment sharing in how she experiences life, which we know is very traumatic. Yeah, I actually... When I was watching that, when I wrote that down, I was like, I'm surprised it's not more traumatizing mm-hmm. for Scott to be in Meredith's brain. So I was just curious. Do you have any questions? No. no. Do you ever have any questions? No, because here's <laughs> the thing. I like, I would rather just let the information come to me. Like, it's cool just sitting here confused because I clearly know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you have any observations? Yeah. Um, the little Ducalian dialogue where he's like, you ability to lie your ability yeah i wrote it down too is so so cheesy teen wolf garbage like (laughs) are you kidding me and like gideon emery good as he is could not make that line sound great no not even his british accent um i really wish that Parrish's powers were better defined i think it's cool as shit that he can burn through uh mountain ash Yes. I Well, we know that he burns, like, the water out of pipes and stuff, so I guess it makes sense, but mountain ash is... It's an ash. Ash, it's already burned. Well, I know that mountain ash is the tree, but it also is powdered, so I assumed that it was the burned-down version of that tree. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's cool. I wish we knew more. I wish we had, like, a little bestiary Bella Googling vampire moment for parish yes well we kind of got a second with lydia but she didn't get to spend that much time in the library you know what i would say about parish Hmm. i love the character design of like the cracks like where like so cool you sort of see like embers burning basically beneath his skin it looks like lava it's great it's really cool um i i just while we were watching this i kept thinking about the fact that like dylan o'brien Gets a whole season, half a season. Yeah. 3B to really delve into this, you know, impressive acting exercise of like being possessed by the Nukitsune. But being away from your faculties and like the sort of, um, you know, way that that changes how you interact with your life. And as you said to me while we were watching, Lydia only gets to scream. She only gets to scream. She is only, she is passive. Like when we see Styles wrestling with the Nugitsune and kind of coming in and out of consciousness, he is actively fighting against it. He's horrified at what he's doing. Like he has these real moments of like heavy, like coming to terms with what's going on. Um, And he is shown as like, actively fighting against what's happening to them. Yeah. Lydia can't do that. And it's really frustrating um, because like, yes, her scream has this tremendous power, but we don't know really how she's thinking and feeling. I don't think that those dream sequences with Meredith really accomplished that. No. And you know, I think the sort of generous way of looking at this is like, of course, like the most frustrating and terrifying thing for women is being removed of their agency, but doesn't actually feel like that was the goal. It actually just felt like they never gave Lydia that much to begin with, you know? Yes. Um, I think. Not that Lydia doesn't have like major, you know, 
no, but cool she... girl, like I can get shit done st- stuff, but like she's not as of a ma- as much of a main character and therefore doesn't actually have that much stuff to work in comparison to think but Lydia also like as a banshee and just in general in Teen Wolf things are always just happening to her she's not an agent of change she is just like there to find the bodies which is her function but we I don't know it's just like I'm never getting enough Mm -hmm. from that and I find it really really frustrating um and I think the idea of like, oh, it's so terrifying that women like have their voice taken away and like they're being forced to feel all of like the empathy you could possibly feel in the world. Like I think on paper that is a feminist statement and in execution, um, especially in a show. Well, we're, I also think that we're bringing our own interpretation to that. Like that is why it's scary to us personally, but yeah. I don't actually think it is not clear in the text that that was intentional by the writers. Yes, and so that is why it fa- it f- it fails to make a statement. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Teen Wolf <laughs> fails, fails to, to make, make a, a statement, statement frequently. Was that the last of your observations? Um, just on another personal note. Oh my God, do I not care about the Beast? I don't give a shit. I don't care at all. I I can't think of anything <laughs> in Teen Wolf I have ever cared less about. And not just. And I think this is partially also because we haven't seen them in a couple of episodes. But Valak is talking about his like vendetta against the Dread Doctors. I'm like, oh my god, I don't fucking care. I didn't care before, but I especially don't care now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, last observation. Hayden jumping over that stupid wall to get to the Transformers looked so stupid and so dumb. And you, when it happened, you were like, we better hold on tight, spider monkey, because it yes. looked like bad Twilight. It's rid- It was ridiculous. That's two, two Twilight references in one up. We're doing pretty good. Uh, do you want to give us our pack stats? Yeah. Um, not as many as last week. We had five eyes, one claws, one shirt. I mean, Parrish just like was naked throughout well he was wearing shorts Weird. which is interesting because why are the shorts exempt from the burning i don't know they're bike shorts they're magic he, um, like parish has been spraying his underwear with like fire <laughs> retardant spray uh yeah well they can't you know yeah can't just hang brain on teen wolves so. <laughs> yeah but like just i mean opportunistic camera angles i'm not trying i'm not trying to see anything i'm just saying it's weird that the, the shorts are exempt from the rest of his clothes being burned off yeah, it's just really unfortunate that ryan kelly decided to start listening now oh my god ryan kelly i'm so sorry um, wait but ryan kelly is a bear spraying his boxers with fire spray we need to know we need to people know. need to know um ads w- people were using their samsung phones powered by at&t they were and we've not had any sirens during the recording of this year episode of the team wolf free wolf no do you have an elf of the week <sighs> styles, styles. <laughs> well I'll, i'm gonna split it i'm gonna give it to styles i'm gonna give it to parish oh okay nice yeah yeah, they both helped. They both. They, <laughs> I agree with them because they love Lydia. And you know what? I love Lydia. Me too. I think that wraps it up. Yeah, I think so. Well, hey, uh, if you guys liked this episode, we hope you follow us on uh, Twitter. Our Twitter is at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can find us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf. And our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. Answer the questions. I'll let you in. If you really liked this episode, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Reminder, if you leave us a five stars and leave us a written review, we will read it on the podcast, give you a shout out. We're very appreciative. Um, and it helps us find new listeners. And we're always looking for people to join this here wolf pack if you really really liked this episode 
You can buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf, or you can buy our stickers. We have cool Teen Wolf Rewolf branded stickers you can buy on Redbubble. They are like just a, a, a couple dollars and they're fun. I have one on my laptop. I'm very proud. Um, other than that, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, uh, woo! woo!